Get Back to Basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. Hi, and a very good afternoon to you. It's wonderful to be in your company again. It has been some time, some time since we've been able to chat on Judaism 101.9, and it's great to be back. Yes, um, it seems that uh, things conspired against us for uh, Wednesdays over the last month or so, and then I was hoping to get back to things last week, Wednesday, but um, had to travel, thank God, for pleasant things for a simcha, for a wedding, and uh, now back at the ranch, as they say, back in the hot seat, back here, uh, trying to remember how to do all of these things and uh, get back to uh, speaking to you on uh, Chai FM's uh, Judaism 101.9 program here um, with you with Rabbi Michael Katz. This is me and back here live with you on this very, very beautiful Wednesday afternoon here in Joburg. So good to be back. And yet today is kind of the end of the whole Tishrei program. It's an interesting thing. Today is already the seventh day in the month of Cheshvan. And you well know, as we've already mentioned, that um, the Yomim Tovim all ended two weeks ago. So how is it? How can I say, why do I say that today is kind of the end of the whole Tishrei period? It is because, in fact, today is a significant date in the Jewish calendar. Zayin Cheshvan, the 7th of Cheshvan, is the date that was chosen. If you were living in Israel, you would know that last night at Meiriv, at the beginning of their evening services, they would have made an announcement that from last night, they begin saying, the Tain Tal Umatar, that they would begin their pleas to the Almighty to send rain. Remember now that we have... Um, asked God for rain already and mentioned rain already on Shmini Atzeret, on the um, penultimate day of the Chagim, the day before Simchat Torah, we had a special prayer for rain. But those prayers for rain are kind of divided from the actual supplication, the imploring of the Almighty to send rain. And of course, all rain is directed through Eretz Yisrael, it's directed through Israel. And we only begin that imploring of God to send rain in the actual proper rainy season. And seasons are dictated by the sun, and therefore it has something significant to do with a secular calendar calendar date. And you might find that mentioned in your siddur, um, in your prayer book, in your prayers, in the bracha where we usually say the Tain Bracha or the Tain Talamatar, we make a change on the 4th or the 5th of December related to a secular date, related to a date that has got to do with the sun. So in Israel, they begin actually today. Today, Zayin Cheshwan, the 7th of Cheshwan, they begin today. And there is a magnificent reason for why today was chosen as the day on which they begin the recitation or the imploring, the recitation of the prayer or the begging of God to send rain, which is the very sustenance, not only of the whole of Israel, but of all mankind. We need that rain. Remember when Hashem created the world, he created the world in a kind of a static fashion. And he told Adam, he told Adam that he needs to pray for rain. And in that way, man becomes partners with God in imploring God to send rain and rain 
is the most incredible bracha. You only have to look around and see what happened here in Joburg um, over the last couple of weeks once it began to rain, how all of a sudden the colors have changed. Everything is beautifully green when we look at the uh, plant life. And it's beautifully blue when we look at the sky is because it has rained. The rain brings a new sustenance and a new life and a new energy to us all. So in Eretz Yisrael, in the land of Israel, they begin praying for rain on the 7th of Cheshvan. Last night, today, the beginning of those prayers for rain. And the beautiful reason that is given is because this dates back to the times of the Beit HaMikdash, particularly the second temple when this was instituted, the time of the Beit HaMikdash and the temple in Yerushalayim, where people used to travel from far and wide in order to be in Yerushalayim for the Chagim and particularly for the pilgrim festivals. So people would have traveled to be in the land of Israel and particularly to be able to be in the environment of the Beit HaMikdash, of the temple itself, and they would have left back to travel home to their hometowns or their home villages or their home farms. They would have left back um, right after the Chag. Now, people traveled from far, and it was regarded as being the furthest extremity that people would come from in the surrounds of the river Euphrates. The Euphrates River, we know, is a place where People, Jews, lived particularly uh, from the time of uh, the uh, Babylonian exile. But if we think about it, it is also the place where Avram Avinu came from, where Abraham came from, and uh, all of his descendants. We came from that place called Haran, Ur-Kasdim. We came from that faraway place across the Euphrates. Now, if people were traveling back on foot, of course, or perhaps on camelback, to the Euphrates, it was deemed as being the furthest possible trip that somebody would take for these Hagim and for the festival of Sukkot particularly would be from the surrounds of the river Euphrates. And they worked it out that that was a journey of just over two weeks. It would be a 15-day journey to be exact. And guess what? Today is the 15th day since the end of the Chag, since the end of the festival. And so, we didn't want to start begging God to send rain, which we know that he would do at a time that anybody was still on the road. The people who had traveled, why should they suffer? And why should it be that we're begging them to send, begging God to send rain? And the torrential rains come flooding down and people are still traveling home. It seems a little unfair. It seems a little unkind. And so we learn an incredibly powerful and important message not only about rain and not only about imploring Hashem to send us the rain, but about consideration for other people. We don't even want to pray for rain, the very sustenance of our lives, the thing that's going to kickstart my particular plantation or my particular business or give me some kind of a great uh, boost or satisfaction. I don't want to do that. If it's going to endanger or even inconvenience anybody else in any possible way, what an incredible lesson for how we are to live our lives and how we are to think about others at all times. It teaches us this great and wonderful thing about <clears throat> not only mindfulness, but uh, selflessness, caring for others, thinking about other people. When we think about others, 
it is certainly the biggest bracha that we can bring upon ourselves. And this is what is taught here. You're praying for rain? Yes. You're begging God for rain? Yes. You're going to start asking Hashem to send the rain for Eretz Yisrael, from which all the rain of the universe, of the whole world, actually is channeled through that special, significant, holy space. You cannot do it if there are people on the road. Now, of course, you're going to say there are people on the road at all times, but not when they have come particularly for the pilgrim festivals. And we know that we've just had a wonderful hug together and they're still traveling back. And in any way, I'm going to disturb, inconvenience them or put them into a position where the rain is going to cause them pain, suffering or delay. I'm not allowed to do that. And so the prayer for rain in Israel began now when we know that everybody's arrived home. Get back to basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. So in a way, the seventh of Cheshwan today is not only the, well, let's call it uh, the end of the beginning, but it's also the beginning of a brand new cycle, actually, in our lives. Because when we think about Tishrei and its end and the fact that now everybody has in inverted commas, arrived home, and now we can pray for rain or pull the rain out of uh, those uh, vats on high in which the rain is contained. We can start in Israel imploring God to send the rain to nourish the earth, to fill the kinneret, to make sure that there is water for everybody in Israel and outside of Israel. At this time, we kind of settle back into work. This is the time when everybody's arrived home and we have, if we haven't yet, we've begun unpacking all the wonderful lessons and all the fantastic things that we've learned over Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, the 10 days of repentance, the days in between Yom Kippur and Sukkot, the days of Sukkot, and then the final days of Shmini Atzeret and Simchat Torah. And we now begin to unpack. We now begin to once again plant the seeds. We now begin to till and to plow in the proverbial uh, fashion and make sure that the rains that we are begging God to send have what to fall on and that there is this growth and there is this uh, return to where we should be and what we should be doing this is actually what this great date, the 7th of Cheshwan, really represents. But there's a fascinating and beautiful thing, and that is that within Jewish teaching, within Torah teaching, it's not just about the moon. It's not just about the sun. It's not just about the seasons, the rain, and so on. But everything that God created kind of intercepts um with each other. And there is a point of these great interceptions, let's call them, that actually happens now as well. And that is that today, according to the Kabbalists, would be the first day on which, on the 7th of Cheshvan, for this month, would be the first day on which we would say a prayer called Kiddush Levona. Kiddush Levona being the prayer that is said on the moon. So we've talked about seasons, and of course rain comes in a rainy season. We've spoken about the fact that we have some kind of a deference and some kind of a, uh, a sympathy for those who are traveling, and we want to make sure that we don't impact upon anybody else. But at the same time, we look towards the moon for its particular inspiration, and we 
bless the moon on in a, a particular function in an event that is called Kiddush Levana. And it would be appropriate, I guess, today to talk about Kiddush Levana. The last time we would have done Kiddush Levana in most shuls would have been at the end of Yom Kippur. Why? Yom Kippur fell out on the 10th day of the month of Tishrei. And yet, you'll see in every good machzor that it says, after the davening on Yom Kippur, at the end of the day, once before we've even indulged in breaking our fasts, we should go outside and do Kiddush Levana. We should sanctify the moon. Kiddush, sanctification, Levana of the moon. And why that sanctification takes place there, we'll explain a little bit later on. But let's just think about this incredible event that happens once a month where we go outside, usually on a Saturday night. We'll explain that as well. Usually on a Saturday night, but it can be actually any night of the week. And we go outside and we say a prayer, a special prayer that is done in community. It's done dafka with other people. And we do this prayer called Kiddush Levona, to be Mekadesh Levona, to make the moon sacred, to sanctify the moon. A special prayer said for and over the moon. Now, what does the moon represent in Judaism? Well, of course, it represents the cycle of life. Of course, it represents the ebb and flow of our lives and the ebb and flow of Jewish history. Yes, of course, everybody knows that the tides are affected by the moon. And anything and everything that has got to do with tides, with moods, with emotion, has got some kind of an effect that is played out by the moon. It's not just the gravitational pull of the moon, but it is, and it can be in a very big way and in a very important way. It can also be, and it is, the influence of this ebb and flow of the waxing and waning of the moon. Now, the moon, we know, waxes and wanes. We know that the moon grows bigger and then the moon grows smaller. There you will have been treated over the last few nights to spectacular visions of the moon as it is now in its waxing phase. In other words, it is getting bigger. The moon starts off. Um, it seems on the uh, time of Rosh Chodesh that the moon is not visible at all. And then we sort of see a bit of a faint outline of the moon. And then a little bit of light is shed on the bottom part of the moon. And then eventually you can see, which we noticed so beautifully the other night, you see what is uh, was always known as the old moon in the arms of the new moon. You see the outline of the rest of the moon, and then it grows and grows and grows until eventually, by the middle of the month, by the 15th of the Jewish month, the moon is bright, a big, beautiful, round circle of light in the night sky, and that is the moon. During that period of waxing, um, we say this prayer, and the prayer should be said, according to Allah, according to Jewish law, the prayer is said, this uh, sanctification of the moon is done from the third of the month, up until the 15th. Now, we've got to remember that it's not actually the third of the month. It's not actually the 15th of the month that is taken really from the time that we pronounce as the molad. So we're going to just, for ease of reference here, say the third to the 15th. 
And um, the Kabbalists, Kabbalah tells us that it should preferably be done from the 7th to the 15th, come the number 7 once again into our frame here. And so according to Kabbalah, according to Kabbalistic teaching today, being the 7th would be the first day of sanctification of the new moon for this month of Cheshwan. So we kind of have this image of the travelers arriving home and they've just got home. And then as they arrive home, they pay homage to what the moon represents. Now, we've got to remember we're not worshipping the moon. This is not about going outside and praying to the moon. This is praying for the moon and praying about the moon and davening for um, holiness to be learnt from these very phases of the moon and everything that it represents. We hope that all the tides will be productive and that they'll be proper. We hope that every influence that happens in a, on a monthly basis will uh, benefit us and will be filled with Kedusha, be filled with holiness. But in addition to that, we're also thinking about, of course, during this period of time, the ebb or the waxing, the growing uh, larger of our productivity, of our joy, of our happiness, and so on. And so, according to Jewish law, the uh, blessing that is said on the moon can only be done when we are in a good frame of mind. We need to be basimcha. We need to be in a happy frame of mind. And so you'll notice that the new moon is not sanctified, or the moon is not sanctified in the first 10 days of Tishrei, up until Yom Kippur. In the days leading up to Yom Kippur, we're in a bit of a worried frame of mind. We're not sure what the new year is going to hold. We're in the days of repentance. It's not considered to be the best frame of mind to go outside and dance and look at the moon and say, wow, this uh, great abundance that Hashem is showering upon us. It's not done then, and it's also not done, by the way, in the month of Av, leading up to Tisha B'Av. Tisha B'Av and the days of mourning for the Beit HaMikdash, we're not in a great frame of mind. But when do we change? When does that change? in the very nature of the human psyche and our souls, it changes on the 10th of Av, and it also changes, of course, at the end of the 10th of Tishrei. And so it's at that time that you will see that it says, go outside and sanctify the moon. We are now into a new phase, a phase of joy, a phase of happiness. But it's a different kind of a joy to the joy that we celebrated on Simchat Torah, a different kind of joy to the joy that we celebrated in the Sukkah. This is the joy of recognizing that Hashem's abundance is waiting to be showered upon us. And we praise that image of the moon waxing in this incredible prayer that is said to sanctify the moon, which predominantly usually is done on a Saturday night. And the reason why it's usually done on a Saturday night is because we need to dress up for the occasion. We don't go outside to sanctify the moon in our pajama pants. We don't go outside in our shorts. We don't go out in a T-shirt. We go out to sanctify the moon in a way that we would have been dressed for Shabbos, in our big day Shabbat, in our holy Shabbat clothes, if such a thing still exists. We go outside dressed up. We go outside with our garments of holiness upon us, if possible, and we sanctify the moon. And we state thereby that we hope that as we are in a state of holiness, coming out of Shabbat, in the same way as we are in a state of happiness, of joy that the Shabbat has given us, that we are in a phase of joy 
in this brand new cycle of life, in this brand new month, that in the same way we hope that the month heralds for us, brings for us great and wonderful, joyous, great and wonderful, happy, meritorious and beautiful occasions, and that in fact as the moon waxes, as it grows bigger, so too should our produce, so too should our wealth, so too should our happiness, so too should our health. All of these things should be growing and getting larger and getting more abundant and being more beautiful and being more powerful and happier as we go into this brand new phase. And so therefore, we do not do Kiddush Levana, we do not sanctify the moon after the 15th of the month, after the middle of the month, it's already waning. We are then kind of praising or thinking about a bit of a negative image, the negative side of the moon, if you wish, the, the idea of it getting smaller, of it diminishing, but we're rather praising at a time of it growing, of it becoming bigger. It is done with others around us. In fact, a significant part of Kiddush Levana is greeting other people. And we say, Shalom Aleichem. We say, hello. We say, peace upon you to those who are standing nearby. And they respond, Aleichem Shalom. They respond in the traditional fashion of wishing the wisher well, of uh, saying back to those who are praising them or wishing them well, we do that back to them. And thereby, We're creating more simcha. So here, once again, we have an image of unity and an image of how others add to our joy rather than detract from it. The idea of how Barov Am Hadrat Melech, that when there are more people around, this is more of a credit to the Almighty. This is paying better homage to God. This is about reaching to Hashem with everything that we have, including our joy our special clothing, our atmosphere of happiness and the happiness enhanced, made ever greater by the fact that we have our beloved friends, family, community members around us. This is the ultimate kind of a praise that we can give to the Almighty. And so that is how Kiddush Levana is done. Get back to basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. So we are talking about Kiddush Levana, about the idea of sanctification of the moon. Now there are a few important rules and regulations about the sanctification of the moon. First of all, we need to do this outside. There is almost the notion or the idea in a way that we are running outside, going outside to welcome the king. There is that type of an attitude when it comes to Kiddush Levana. It should not be done in a reluctant fashion. Oh, gosh, now I've got to go outside. We'd rather do it in a way of simcha, in a way of joy. We're going outside to sanctify the moon, but there is this idea of heralding the arrival of the King of the Almighty who provides us with all of these incredible, incredible images and these incredible things that function in a most incredible fashion to intersect and to provide us not only with a calendar for our lives, but with everything that is of any significance 
in our lives, whether it is whatever the sun provides or it's whatever the moon provides. And as we said, the moon having a bearing on our daily lives and even on the tides um, of uh, the ocean. So we go outside and we should not be standing under a roof. We do not stand under even the eaves of the house. We should rather be standing out in the open, looking up at the uh, moon. And once we have looked up at the moon and we have uh, begun the uh, psalms and so on that we say, we do not anymore gaze at the moon. We rather, uh, we're not davening to the moon, we're not praying to the moon, we're rather sanctifying the moon. And so we're using the image of what we have just seen in order to say this significant and special prayer. In addition to that, besides the fact that we need to be out in the open, we also need to make sure that the moon is visible. Now, uh, this is the one time where we need to be able to see the moon. So, yeah, you can't say this Kiddush Lavana before the moon has risen or after it has set, so to speak. We cannot uh, say this if the moon is completely clouded over. And so, in uh, and especially in a country like South Africa, we have a lot of sunshine and a lot of clear skies. It's not that much of a problem. But in northern countries, we very often it is overcast and very often it is cloudy and you cannot see the moon. You need to chap the first opportunity in order to say this Kiddush Lavana, and so one would probably then not necessarily wait for the seventh uh, during the winter months, let's say, in London, where uh, you have the opportunity on a particular evening that the moon has appeared. That is when we would say that Kiddush Lavana. So we make sure that we do it at the first opportunity here. Um, we can usually delay for a couple of days in order to make sure that it is done at the right time and said together with the community on a Saturday night after Shabbat. So we need to make sure that the moon is visible. What does it mean that the moon is visible? Well, it cannot be behind the clouds. If it's intermittently going behind the clouds, um, we need to make sure that it stays out for us long enough to say that bracha. A little haze kind of over the moon is not considered as significant enough of a covering, but the covering of a thick cloud certainly would be. Let's continue right after this. Get back to basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. So this 7th of Cheshvan is a powerful, powerful date. A date on which in Israel they begin praying for rain. A date on which would be the first opportunity of the, let's call it, the uh, more secular part of our year um, when we would begin praying about the moon thinking about Kiddush Lavona and thinking about how the moon affects us in our day-to-day lives. And when we think about that, we think about this important and powerful idea of Kiddush Lavona, of sanctifying the moon and thereby praising the Almighty for everything that he's given us. We thank Hashem for the ebb and the flow of our lives. We thank Hashem for the times when things are going fantastically. And we thank Hashem for the difficult times as well because they bring out the best in us. And we understand that everything comes from the Almighty. And so there's the recognition of that when we do Kiddush Lavana. But at the same time, we're standing together as a community. We're uniting with other people. And at the same time as that, we are thinking about the important messages that the moon sends to us. A, that our calendar is different from all others. In other words, our lives are different from all others. And by a sanctification of the moon once a month, we're continually reminding ourselves and reminding each other 
of just how wonderful and beautiful it is to be Jewish, just how wonderful and beautiful it is that we have the opportunity to praise the Almighty, to thank God for all the wondrous and beautiful things that he put into this world and into nature, and to also think about the role that we can play. And so as we get back to our regular lives now, that Zion Cheshvan has come and is here with us today. As we get back into the throes of a year, we take and unpack everything that we've learned on the uh, special dates in the month of Tishrei. And we integrate them, we instill them into our lives, and there's no better opportunity to do that other than uh, now thinking about how the ebb and flow of the moon reminds us of all these wonderful messages, how important we are in the in, in 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 this world, how important the Almighty is in our lives, how important our mitzvot are, how important it is to recognize and to thank God daily for everything that He has given us, how important each other is to us, how important our community is, and how important it is to do everything that we possibly can to make this world a much better place for us all. I look forward to being back with you again, same time, same place next week um, on another exciting installment of Judaism 101.9.